Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Yeah, okay, we'll try it. We're going to try it. Okay, like I said, I'm Tim. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. It's going to be hard to kind of switch gears because that was really powerful, good worship experience um, for me, and I'm going to re- probably be referring back to that last song there. That was good. Um, but now I'm probably going to be competing uh, with all of you thinking about food. It's coming up, so it's Thanksgiving. You probably have to put some sort of thing in an oven and bake it or cook it or whatever you're going to do. Uh, maybe you have things with lunch or dinner plans. Um, and so instead of trying to just uh, compete with your thoughts, I'm just going to lean into it. So I'm just going to start this by talking about food, Okay. Good. Okay, we're going to talk about food. So, who here has ever seen the show Iron Chef? Yeah? Yes? Okay, a lot of you. If you're unfamiliar, it is an awesome show. It was like a a 90s show, uh, a Japanese television show, where um, these amazing chefs would compete uh, to try to make the best dish, dish possible, and then these judges would decide who was the Iron Chef, who made the best meal. And my favorite part was that they always had some sort of like secret ingredient that they would unveil. The secret ingredient is, and they would like say what it is, and then they had to incorporate that secret ingredient into every aspect of the meal that they were making. And um, I loved it, and a lot of my friends did too growing up. And me and my friends, being the really cool people that we are, uh, we had our own Iron Chef competition last month, and it was a lot of fun. And so uh, we were celebrating a friend's uh, bachelor party. Uh, he's about to get married. And we went up to some cabin place uh, up in Columbia Valley. And we had a cook-off. And it was me and Joel on a team. You might know Joel. He was playing electric guitar here. Uh, we were on a team. And we were battling our friends. And we had the secret ingredient of Joel's special peppers from his garden. And it was amazing. They were like these spicy peppers. And so we had to incorporate that into every part of the meal, and this is what Joel and I came up with. Now, the picture doesn't do it justice. Can't really see it, can you? Yeah, not bad, hey, for like limited ingredients. (laughs) I just want to boast about my random culinary skills. No, that was mainly Joel, but what we did is we took his peppers, and we like incorporated it into every aspect of the meal. So everything from the garnish leaves are from peppers, uh, the like chili peppers on top with like uh, melted cheese in the middle, Oh, it was amazing. And then steak that was marinated in the depths of what it was with like this chili marinade. It was amazing. And then that that dripped into the potatoes with like cheese baked on top. And there's like a little beef dip made of, it was just like all out. And so now you're hungry, right? I'm just, I'm not competing with it. I'm just going with it. Um, And we made that and we tied. I don't know why we, we should have won. Like look at that dish in the background, right? That's so bland and boring looking. Ours should have won. I'll argue that with my friends till the end. But Why do I tell you all this? Not just to make you hungry. Um, I tell you all this because I think that there is a secret ingredient um, that we can take and we can infuse into every aspect of our lives, from the the simple everyday things to the deep uh, soul level things in our lives. We can take this one secret ingredient that I want to talk about, incorporate it in every aspect of our lives, and when we do, we become like this fragrant, nourishing presence to the people around us. And we become a community that is this just like nourishing, delicious, appetizing uh, place for people to be. And so what I want to do is I want to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to be spending most of my time in Colossians. Um, 
And I just want to read you a section of scripture where Paul talks about community. And it's this appetite. It's like this, I want to be there. I want that kind of community. I want to read it. And I want you to try to spot what the secret ingredient is. Does that sound okay? Yes. Okay, so it's Colossians 3. And Paul is writing to this church. And he didn't meet, he hasn't met them. And he didn't start the church. His, his fellow coworker Epaphras started it. And he's hearing about this church. And here's what he says to them and challenges them with and thanks them for. So, it's Colossians 3, and it says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This just sounds like a community I want to be a part of. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like we just did, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That, that's appealing, isn't it? You want to be a part of a community like that, right? And can you see, did you catch the secret ingredient? Some of you saying love. What word came up three times? Yes, what day is it? It's Thanksgiving. I know it's not that secret. It is Thanksgiving Day. But thankfulness. Thankfulness is the secret key ingredient to a community and to a life in discipleship with Jesus that I think we can take and we can incorporate in every aspect of our lives. Um, and I think you know it when you meet someone who is a thankful person, right? You you walk away with like a, a, a good feeling, with like encouragement and 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 joy, and like, yeah, you know, life, life's going to be all right. And you know the opposite when you encounter someone who maybe is a bit more complainy, a bit grumpier, and a bit, you know, always sees the negative. You walk away from an experience like that, kind of like, eh, bitter taste in your mouth, you know, a bit more negative. And so I think we all want to be people who are genuinely thankful. But if we're being honest, and if I'm being honest, we have moments where we're not, where we either complain or we, you know, get downcast or we become ungrateful and we lose the things that we're, we should be thankful for, right? It's, I hope it's not just me that struggles with that. Um, we should be thankful and we're often not. Often we give in to complaining and ungrat- ungratefulness. Um, and so what I want to say this morning is that in Jesus, you actually can be thankful in everything. In Jesus, you can be thankful in everything. And I think what animated Paul, who wrote this, what filled him and this community with such deep thankfulness was, in a nutshell, this gospel story, the good news story of Jesus. And that story just saturated every single aspect of his life. And if you read the letter, you can see thankfulness comes up everywhere. Uh, the, the, Paul and his, his um, co-workers, they thank God for this church when they pray for them. He wants them to give joyful thanks. They, he, they want to be abounding in thanksgiving. He tells them to be thankful. He says, sing with thanksgiving in your heart. Give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. And he tells them to pray steadfastly with thanksgiving. Thankfulness is all throughout this letter that Paul wrote um, to the Colossians. And it makes me wonder what, what animated him to be so thankful. And like I said, it's the gospel story. And so I just want to read earlier in Colossians what Paul says about the good news. This is what fills him with thankfulness every moment of his life. 
So Colossians 1, 12 to 14 says this. God the Father, just listen to the story. This, this overarching, just magnificent story that he's raptured in. God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. By him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He just has this soaring vision of reality. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So that's that story. And this is where we come into the story. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so it's this, this amazing story that Paul is just caught up in that's way bigger than him. God has created everything through his son, Jesus. He is the God of love. We have gone astray. We've inherited death and destruction, and he's rescued us from that. And now we get to live forever with him on his mission. It's like amazing. And I look at my own life and I'm like, why? Why am I not continuously caught up in that story? Why am I not continuously joyful, abounding in thanksgiving? Why is it so easy for my thankfulness to be so fickle and to fade and to be gone in an instant? Why? If that's true, What makes me doubt that? What makes that kind of seep out of my life? What prevents that from being infused into every aspect of who I am? And as I've been thinking about this, um, I've been thinking that there are the things that kind of sap that from my life are competing stories. So this is the main story. This is the good news story that's true. But there's competing narratives going on in my mind and in my heart that I think robbed me of thankfulness. And as I've been reflecting, I've come up with kind of three. I know there's more, um, but these are maybe the main three that I struggle with that I think take away our vision that Paul, that Paul has as well of the good news. And so there's competing stories that compete with the gospel story. And I'm just going to share three. The first is the story of materialism. So materialism, just to set the record straight, material, the earth, everything in it is good, okay? We just heard that God made everything visible and invisible. And so this whole world, it, it's, it's a good place. God wants his creatures to enjoy it. He wants them to experience um, just good pleasures in him. He wants all of us to experience abundance. Like, he wants that. The material world is not bad and wrong, okay? We're not dualists that think the spiritual world is good and the material world is evil and wrong. No, material is good. But as you may have noticed, we live in a culture and we live in a culture that is very uh, materialistic. And I think the narrative of materialism is that gifts matter more than the giver. That the gifts that God gives uh, matter more than the one who's actually giving them. And I think that what our 
what we and our culture might say is that material stuff, all the stuff of life, is what really matters. Right? You know, it's understandable. We've got to pay bills and we've got to live in this world. And so you have to get, you know, things in order to do that and live in a house. But then it can slowly start to creep in that, well, you need the best thing and you need the next thing. And, you know, it's like a kid at Christmas who opens up a present and they should just be grateful with the thing they open, but they kind of throw it behind their shoulder and they just want the next thing and they just want to keep opening and opening because they want the next best thing. And, you know, we can laugh at kids, but we're no different. You know, a new iPhone comes out and we're like, we need it. It's like, why? Well, because it has a slightly better camera. It's like, oh, do we really need that, right? Like we can buy the live materialism that we need things in order to be satisfied in the depths of our souls. But there's a lie in there which is that we can find all of our hope and satisfaction and fulfillment um, in stuff. And it's just not true. And Paul um, talks about it in this letter. He talks about, um, he says we need, there's some things in our lives that we need to put to death. And he talks about covetousness, which he says, which is idolatry. So it's this really interesting relationship there between coveting, wanting the next thing, wanting what other people have, because they look happy, so it must be because of what they have, or wanting the next best thing that you don't have yet. You're coveting. What does that do? It becomes idolatry. How? Because it puts the gift above the giver. It says, my stuff can give me fulfillment. My stuff can make me happy. I look to it for peace. I look to it for security, and it becomes everything that God should be to you. And he says, put that to death. And a while ago in the summer, I got to preach on um, one, of this, one of the sermons in the series on the Ten Commandments, and I got to preach on coveting. And the main thing that I walked away with was uh, covetousness crowds out contentment. When you just want the next best thing, when you're obsessed with this world, all contentment, all thankfulness just drains out of you. And so what do we do? How do we combat this story? Um, Paul tells us in this letter to look upward. He says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, if then you have been raised with Christ, if that gospel story is true that we read, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on this story. It's an, it's an active attempt to not just be obsessed with this world, but to actually look at what God has done. Set your mind on things that are above. And when you do, you'll put gifts in their proper place. And you know, I get it. I get that, you know, finances and, and they can be a real challenge. And you know, this, um, this past year, uh, my wife Jenna and I, we've really been trying to uh, work on stewardship of what God has given us. Um, it's kind of been the year of stewardship for us. We've really tried our best to uh, use what God has given us for his purposes and to use it well. And, you know, on that journey, there's some high moments and some low moments. And I remember one um, particular night where we were talking through uh, financial stuff, and we're like, oh, that's really discouraging. And, but the next morning, uh, my wife texted me, and she said, you've got to read Deuteronomy 8. Because she was working through Deuteronomy, she was reading it, and she read Deuteronomy 8, And it was just perfect timing. And I just want to read it for us here uh, before we move on to the next thing. So Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 15. This is God um, speaking to his people who he's leading through the wilderness. So he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God 
by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And so what do we do when we have abundance? It's not wrong to have abundance. You know, we don't have to go live an aesthetic life and, and sell everything and live in the desert. It's okay to have abundance. It's good to have abundance. But what do we do when we have abundance? We be thankful. We be thankful and we acknowledge these are not my own. These are gifts from God. And when you acknowledge that something is a gift, You acknowledge it's not yours and it has other purposes than just your own satisfaction. If you look at Paul, he was on mission. He used every resource possible to love the people around him and to help other people know this gospel story. So when we stop, if we have abundance and we say, thank you, God, these are all gifts from you. It's not by my might. I think it gives us a moment to remember, God, how do you want me to use this then? If this is the abundance you've blessed me with, how can I use this for your kingdom and for your good news story to advance it in this world? So when we have abundance, we thank him. What do we do if we don't have abundance? We thank him. We say, thank you, God. Why? Because maybe we're in the desert and maybe he's humbling us and maybe he's teaching us and maybe we're at a moment in life where we understand more than others that God is enough. God is sufficient. He will get me through this. He's my, provi- he's my provider. He will give me everything that I need. When we have me- plenty and when we have nothing We can thank him. I think that's an antidote to ingratitude. And it helps us remember this good news story. And so that's one narrative in my heart that can kind of take away thankfulness. It's materialism. Um, The next competing story. It's kind of like it, but a bit different. I'd say it's entitlement. So the story of entitlement, as it goes in my mind, is I have the right for things to go my way. Um, instead of materialism that puts material possessions on the throne, it puts myself on the throne. My will. I have a will. I have a kingdom. I want that to come on this earth today. Uh, And it forgets that God has a will and God has a kingdom. And he wants it to reign on this world. Um, And I'll just tell you a story where I was experiencing this. So yesterday, that recently, I was... uh, uh, we had a whole day planned, uh, beautiful sunny day. We had Thanksgiving plans with people. Um, we were going to go play in the sun. And right before we were about to go, uh, one of my kids was whittling uh, a stick, sharpening a stick, which is cool for, you know, little boys. That's great. Um, but the knife slipped, and he cut right above his knee, and it was not good. And so he ran inside, and I went and looked. And as soon as I looked, I've been to the emergency enough, t- enough times with kids now to know what needs stitches or not. I'm like, that needs stitches. And my first thought, my first feeling 
was great. There goes our day, right? Because I know, I know that the emergency is at least five hours. And it was. We were there five hours yesterday. My very first thought is, ah, there goes our day. Um, I wanted my will. I wanted my kingdom to come. But I knew that I was preaching on this tomorrow. And so I was like, Tim, (laughs) practice what you're about to preach. Don't be a hypocrite. Uh, And so in that moment, like we're getting ready and on the drive, I'm just, I'm just counting the things that I'm thankful for. And I'm just saying like, man, this whole day is a grace and God help me to see it as a grace. Um, and so I just start naming things in my mind. I'm saying like, well, thank you that I even have a son that could cut themselves up. <laughs> you know, thank you that I have a car that could drive to the hospital. Thank you that there is a hospital. Thank you that we live in a country that has healthcare. And even though it has its ups and downs, that he could get stitches within four, five hours. Thank you that we live in a country that's at peace and not at war. Thank you that we live on a planet in a trajectory around the sun where there's no asteroids. Like you can just go further and further out in the story and find things to be grateful for. And I think we can zoom so far out that we see the gospel story again. Thank you at least that you have rescued me from death right? Thank you that you're good and you're with me all the time. And I think when you do that in the moment, our time at the hospital was actually a lot of fun. Like, we had a blast. We, we played games. We were laughing. We were like, uh, it was just, it was a really actually a good time. And I think it's because we took the time to just be grateful and not think of the things that were wrecked by the day. Um, and so I think when we feel like we are on the throne of our lives, we really can miss out on thankfulness. But when we remember that God is on the throne, and we remember that what we really deserve, what we, what we really deserve, we've actually been spared from. What we've really incurred as what we've earned is death. And we've been spared from that. And everything is a gift. Everything is grace. And so I just want to read, before moving on to the next one, I want to read lyrics from one of my favorite songs, a band by the name of Thrice. Any Thrice fans? No, that's okay. Maybe a few of you. But... Uh, there's a song called Beggars, and the end of the song goes like this, and I'll just read it. It helps humble me. All you big shots that swagger and you stride with conceit, did you devise how your frame would be formed? If you'd be raised in a palace or live out on the streets, did you choose the place or the hour you'd be born? Tell me, what can you claim? Not a thing, not your name. Tell me if you can recall just one thing that's not a gift in this life. Can you hear what's been said? Can you see now that everything's grace after all? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. We are all beggars. We are beggars though with a benevolent king who wants to give us good things. What right do we have? What do we deserve? God has spared us from it and he is wanting to give us good things. And I think next time we feel like we want to complain or be grumpy or uh, it'll happen. Let's just take a step back and just remember the grand narrative that we're a part of. And I think that will shape and change our experience in the moment. Let's not be entitled. Let's remember that we are beggars with a good and gracious king. Okay, the third competing story, which I think comes out of that, is hardship. You know, it's... It's okay to say, you know, if you stub your toe and your day doesn't go your way and, you know, be grateful. Um, What about when things get really hard, though? What about in 
kind of the depths of hardship and struggle and suffering. Um, can we really be thankful there? Can we really let this ingredient saturate us to this depth? Um, I think the main narrative of hardship is to say God is only good when life is good. Um, and I think that we could kind of write off Paul um, saying be thankful and everything. I think we could write him off if he was writing this from like a yacht or, you know, from his acreage, you know, in a nice country uh, view, if he was writing this letter from there. Um, but he wrote this letter literally in a prison. He, he wrote this letter literally shackled with chains. He says in the end of it, remember my chains. He says throughout it, I, like I'm in prison for the gospel. And he, in the middle of writing this letter, he has the audacity to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. How? What? How, does that, how is that possible? You know, our whole world wants to flee from pain at all costs. And he says, no, I, I rejoice in the middle of them. I can rejoice in my sufferings. And what I want to say, I don't want to say it lightly, because I know a lot of your stories, and I know that there, in this room, there is a lot of hardship going on. There is a lot of suffering here. Um, and I think as someone who hears a lot of those stories and gets to sit with you and listen in on that, it's almost too much to bear when I think of how much suffering is, is happening in this room right now. And there's lots of you that I don't even know. And I don't know the depths of your suffering, but it, there's a ton. And um, I think in the middle of it, though, we can say God is good, he is faithful, and thank you. Thank you in the middle of it. And, and I think that the reason Paul can say thank you, the reason Paul can rejoice in his sufferings, the reason he can just overflow with thankfulness in the middle of this is again because of that gospel story. Jesus created everything. He is on the throne. He is in control. And I don't understand how that works, but there's this word providence. If you've ever heard the word providence, um, God's providence in, in a nutshell is God's mysterious, hidden hand at work in all instances of human history and in all human experience, not creating evil, not confounding the human will, but working in light of it and in spite of it in order to bring about his good purposes in this world for those who trust in Jesus. That's God's providence. I don't claim to understand it, but he is at work in all instances of your life and all instances of human history in Christ, bringing about goodness. He will win the day and he will bring all things to right. That is true. We can trust in God's providence. Paul did and we can too. And I fail at this miserably, but I learn a lot from a lot of you. And I just want to share a story um, of Evelyn Speck, and I asked her if I could share this, and she said yes. And so, uh, recently, Evelyn Speck um, lost her husband, Jim, and I got to visit with her in hospital while he was passing away, and um, he wasn't very conscious, and he was in quite a lot of pain, and we were trying to, you know, maneuver him on the bed to kind of be comfortable, and, and I'm, I'm listening to her story, and she is just overflowing and abounding in thankfulness during the whole time we're, we're talking. And I don't understand it. <laughs> and she's just, she could see God's hand at work 
in every moment, she could see every silver lining of how he got to the hospital and how he was moved with perfect timing to the hospice and how everything lined up so that her family could come visit. And she's just seeing God's hand at work in every single thing. And she says to me, you know, Tim, this experience has made me softer. It's made me a more compassionate person. It's made me a more tender person. I never thought I would be. I'm more empathetic now. She could see God's hand in all the details. She could see God's hand working in shaping her character. Um, She could see God's hand working and giving her hope. Because I'll see him again one day. There will be a great reunion and God will make all things right. She was just, it was just flowing out of her. This thankfulness was deep in the depths of who she was as a person right in the middle of one of the hardest things possible, losing your spouse. And, you know, she didn't gloss over how much that hurt, but it was genuine thankfulness. And she was living out what Paul says in a different letter, Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so, I think we can say thank you to God in the middle of suffering. And I think when we can do that, it changes who we are. It saturates us and it makes us this fragrant, nourishing presence to the people around us. And it also gives us a deep peace because we know who's in control. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Um, you know, maybe you're going through a lot of hardship and maybe you're thinking, man, there's no way I could be thankful in the middle of this. How could we even talk like that? Well, even in the middle of my conversation with Evelyn, I was just blown away. And I'm like, Evelyn, how are you so thankful in this? And she said, you know, Tim, it's a journey. And it started early on in my faith when in the little things I could be thankful the little moments. God, thank you for this blue sky. You know, thank you that we didn't make ends meet and then somehow you, right at the last second, made ends meet. She said, in the little things, I was able to see God's hand and it was training me so that when the big things happened, I knew, I knew my God was faithful. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. She knew that. She had lived that so that when trials came, she already knew who her God was. And she could thank him. And so I don't know where you're at, but it's a journey, okay? I'm on that journey trying to learn what thankfulness is and how to saturate it into every, be- every part of my being and every moment of my life. Whether you're there on cloud nine just soaring with thankfulness like Paul, whether you see that gospel story and you're just, just saturated and, and uh, raptured by that, great. Or if you're in the depths of a valley and you're like, I don't know. What we can be thankful for is that, like in that song, God's goodness is running after us. Even when we're ungrateful, even when things are hard and we forget God and we blame him and we're grumpy and complaining, God doesn't just give up on us. I think we can be thankful that he pursues us even while we're learning this for ourselves. And so I don't know what inner stories you have going on this morning. Maybe there's other ones, but maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's entitlement. Maybe there's hardship. And these things are kind of sapping your thankfulness. Um, Don't let them. Don't let them. I think that we can... Um, we can do things intentionally to remember the gospel story. And so actually, even right now, I want to invite up the worship team. um, And we're going to close with a bit of a practice to help us set aside these competing stories and to just soak in the good news. 
to become a people, like Paul was saying, filled with love, thankful, forgiving, kind, so that we can become a community like that. And so let's, let's worship together. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.